No, it, 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 he was going to get to some sign of Sharia law kind of thing happening in the yeah, United that, States, which that's, is... That's what I was... Yeah, this, <sighs> the, the German guy's a racist. Go figure. I know. Um, that was part of my day. Wow. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people sit around a table talking about movies you'll never talk about in a film studies course. When did we start recording? Uh, wouldn't you like to know? Oh, I would so much. I would love to know. I'm going to have to listen finally. Ah, <laughs> gotcha. But uh, yes, indeed, th- this is the good. Jo- good yeah, bleh, bleh. This I is, guess I'll just keep going. Yeah. Th- this is the good trash linguistics cast. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton. Uh, hey. Dustin really tried to to get you there, didn't he, Arthur? With your yeah, drink of water. And, uh, but he won't get me. He's a tricksy Not bitch. today. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I give as well as I get. Oh, and uh, I that's, know. <laughs> Gosh, we're off to the races. I'm so excited about this episode. Oh, uh, we are talking um about a movie today. We're talking about so Jupiter happy. Ascending so today. And so we're very excited to be doing that. But to warn you, dear listener, in case it's the first time you've tuned into the show. Yeah, let's get through this preamble. It ain't up. a review show, it's an analysis show. There are spoilers. Um we will avoid them till close to the end. You've we'll, been warned. We'll do our best. Yeah, we're, we're gonna try to stay away from it for the first half this of the This is show. a movie where yeah, good luck. Channing Tatum's a werewolf in space. If you care about spoilers you've come to the wrong place it's werewolves in space and mila kunis um I love this movie. what more do you want um so anyway uh without any further ado let's hear a synopsis from uh, mr arthur gordon to call the wachowski's most recent theatrical experience film a bomb <laughs> might be an understatement made on a budget nearing 200 million with another 100 million in marketing the 2015 film only grossed 140 million worldwide and received mostly negative reviews worldwide Jupiter Ascending recalls many of the Wachowski's numerous writing and directing elements, including a hero's journey, an mm. interesting sci-fi mm-hmm. and fantasy-based world, and reflective themes about personhood, spirituality, and capitalism. Mm-hmm. In it, Jupiter Jones is a lower-class cleaning girl whose father was murdered before her birth. Jupiter works with her Russian family and gets on by uh, meager wages and family cash advances. One day, Jupiter is attacked by aliens called Keepers. Enter Kane Wise, the dog soldier. Kane has been sent to retrieve I love that, I love Jupiter. That, I love that good boy. I love that good boy. It turns out Jupiter carries royal Abrasics blood. The House of Abrasics are one of a number of alien royal families who own different planets throughout the galaxies and mm-hmm. harvest human beings to create a youth serum to maintain their appearance for many millennia. It gets worse. They're humans, too. The Abrasics clan are made up of three other members, uh, siblings Titus, Kalik, and Balam. Each want to get rid of Jupiter so they can make more money, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. What follows is a string of twists and turns and betrayals where Jupiter ultimately wins the day with help from Kane and takes her place among the stars. Nope, actually turns out she goes back to her old job of cleaning toilets, but now she's much happier about it. Yeah, she does, because that's how a real queen does it. Well, actually, she's getting ready for the sequel with her cousin Jessica in, um, you know, the, the, the Hell's Kitchen area of, uh, okay, uh, of this, New York. This movie's this is a and, Chicago and, film. You and they're going to go fight the house of Atreides <laughs> and gain the spice. Everything takes place in one universe, is it, what you're it, saying. I'm, I'm trying to unify all yeah, this. Jessica Jones MCU, and Jupiter Jones. Dune. I got you. you. know, and they're going to do their thing. It's going to be great. Now, before we watch this movie, we ran a poll to see what people's response to Jupiter Ascending was. We asked if it is a good movie, if it is a bad movie, or if it is a transcendental experience. And the majority vote was for transcendental experience, with a split on good or bad. Hmm. And I think that that says everything right there, Arthur. There's three. There's three camps. There's people who think this movie's fine. There's camps who think this movie's bad. And then there's the third, which I'm happy to now find myself in. Uh, I was I was in the this is fine category the first time I saw it. 
there's there's another category of people who are Wachowski purists and think that they can do no wrong. That's not true. They can do wrong. There's, there's we'll get to the snags in this movie, but I think if you can just appreciate what this film is trying to do, it is a true joy. Well, all right, and, and could be called. Transcendental, if you wanted. Well, thank you for that review, Mr. Dalster. What do you say in terms of review, <laughs> Mr. Arthur you son Gordon? Of a bitch, don't you take that from me? No, I have real things to talk about. No, you don't. Yes, um, I do. They won't be anywhere as coherent as this movie, which is saying a lot. Yeah, right. This movie. Okay, we'll get, there. we'll get there. All right, Dalton, go ahead. Hey. No, it's okay. Let Arthur go first. I want to hear this. Well, I mean, he he already started. No, no. I need I, to give him fodder for his rebuttal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, damn. All right, hit me, buddy. <laughs> oh, oh, go ahead, Arthur. I'm I want to let ready. me preface this by saying, a, I missed this movie in theaters, and once I saw that it wasn't getting great reviews, I didn't bother with it. But there was some buzz about it, and I was a little interested, and I definitely went into this with a very open mind. I I, I really wanted to like it. Uh, and that first 30 minutes rock. I, I, I think that that first act is just solid. Um, and then after that, it just goes completely downhill uh, into a very, very bland film. I, I, I think for me, positives, let's, let's go with that. Cause I think there are a lot of, I think there are a lot of great themes at work in this movie. I think there are a lot of great ideas at work visually. It's stunning. I, I love the look of it. I love the lay of the land. I like the world that the Wachowskis have built here. I'm very fascinated by these space royals and Jupiter. And I mean, just kind of what they've built, I think is very fascinating. And I think it would have played much better as a TV show or as a TV show. I, I think that's really, you know, the prime spot for this series. Um, On ABC? No, probably Netflix. But, as, uh, as all or HBO. Eventually will be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for me, I, I think you guys are talking about it off air. A couple of things. One, I, I think it is overstuffed. I think there's so much going on. It's hard to coherently track in a two hour film. This is like their shortest movie since bound. Um, and it's just hard to know where everything is going. And I feel like structurally it's very messy. I think Myla Kunis is very miscast here. I, I don't think she works. And we talked about this a long time ago when we did book of Eli, she's not an action star. And, and, and this, I mean, isn't necessarily an action role, but I think you kind of have to have that same charisma to make it work. And I don't think she has that. And she doesn't have that chemistry with Channing Tatum. I like Tatum's performance here quite a bit as well. Uh, I just think he doesn't have a lot to work with. Uh, it's very, very shallow uh, character writing. Uh, and again, I think that just comes back to how much there is going on to really flesh out anything into a larger setting. Um, I, I like moments. I like when they're going to, the government offices and we're just dealing with the bureaucracy of jupiter that's so it's a hoot. fun i think of brazil yeah, terry gilliam shows up yeah, yeah i think of brazil uh yeah. and, and so uh I, I think it does have those moments where there's a lot of fun I, I like i said i like the first act i like where the action goes uh honestly uh the biggest shock for me was that sean bean uh made it through the credits he's fine uh i i had except for then he was a him. double crosser he's even double. a double crosser and still doesn't get killed i honestly don't know anybody's Orientation by the end. I don't know who's good, who's bad. I have no clue where the Sean movie Bean goes. wants to have sex with Channing Tatum. That's his orientation. That's fine. Okay. I don't care about that. Just I just need about, I don't, tell I don't know me about it. I want, I want to make sure guy. that that's clear. I'm also kind of mad that the lycanthrope is really only dog features or pointy ears and maybe a sense of smell. Like maybe? he's not really a know. werewolf. Oh, look. They, like they lean into some stuff real heavy and then they just shy away from other things and it doesn't mesh. Well, at least there are bees. 
that's I, I think it's so ham-fisted. I don't I, like the bees at all. I don't like it. There you go. Well, I here's think my that's theory. where the movie loses me. That's exactly well, Arthur. I think you're right. I think that's the litmus test. If you're with the movie at the bees, you're in. If the bees lose you, you're you're done, and there's fucking no coming back. And I totally get it. Yeah, because the first time I saw this, I said the bees. I was like, oh no. I mean, and partially it's Cunis's delivery. Part of it's the scripting of it and the dialogue around it. I would have been fine if she can control nature. Like, yeah, cool. That's an awesome yeah, superpower. Yes. But yes. it doesn't pay that off in a way I think that's fulfilling. Totally uh, fair. The other thing I have to say about this movie, though, is this is Eddie Raidman's best oh, performance. He, bar none. Yeah, Arthur, I'm so glad we're on the same done. page about this. Yeah, uh, he's good. Go! Uh, that's, that's he's definitely he's channeling lines. Gary Oldman <laughs> yeah, uh, from Leon and the Fifth Element, and uh, I, I I think uh, it's it's a lot of fun to see him here. He is not meant to play the bumbling British gent. He's got this very over the top thing, and, and yeah. I really dig him here. Somebody, oh my god, I, I think it was Matt Zoller Seitz. Is that his name? Yeah, that's his name. Uh, he said that uh, it was as if. Uh, Eddie Redmayne was channeling Glenn Close at 100 years old. Yes. And uh, with that kind of gravelly whisper voice and then just all of the flair and over the top. He's 100% in on this movie. I love it. And I wish everybody else in the main cast was in the movie with Eddie Redmayne. Buddy, that's... Oh, we're we're definitely on the same page about this aspect of the movie, at least. And at the end of the day, for me, it's not that it's... I mean, I think there's a lot of really technical stuff that's cool about this movie. I just... For me, it just... is a little too bland for what it's wanting to do. So that's that's where I'm at on it. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. So of the three options, his is bad, not fine, and not transcendent. You're going to argue for transcendent. Go. I think he just said it's good. He just did. It's kind of a I mess. I said there are things that are good. There's no, things he, that he are good. Said that. He didn't say bad. He okay. said bad. Well, since I, it seems like you're in the same camp, Dustin, hopefully this won't throw your stuff off too much. Look, look I, I saw this movie in theaters. I, I, I waited for a long time. Uh, I, I had already been a pretty big fan of uh, Cloud Atlas. I'd caught up with that. I did. I missed that one in theaters because you know it was, it was a weird weekend that weekend it came out. Uh, but caught up with it and was was sad that I didn't like it because it, it had already been out long enough that there had already the worm had started to turn. There were people who were like, "No, people are not giving this movie its due. There's something here." Because so I went in much like Arthur, like really wanting to enjoy it, and I just. I thought it was fine, and I thought it was too big of a mess. Uh, in the interim, I've had enough time to think about it that I, I, I think it is very clear this is the first entry in a trilogy. And it is, a, I mean, obviously it is. Warner Brothers would not have given them $300 million to make this movie if they didn't think they were going to get another Matrix out of these two. Uh, and, and I think the problem is, when you hear Wachowskis, your brain is geared to think the Matrix, which just happens to be pretty cool. But the Chessies are funny and campy and silly. The Matrix is a goofy-ass movie. One of the first lines in that is Morpheus saying to a guy he's selling tech, dude, you ever feel like you can't tell if you're awake or not? And the guy buying software goes, yeah, man, it's called mescaline. It's the only way to fly. These ladies are very funny. These movies that they're making are fun. I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about Speed Racer on the show and how it's good with uh, lots of G's and lots of O's. And part of that is the humor of that film. And I, I think what I'm about to walk up to is the ultimate problem of Jupiter Ascending. And it is, unfortunately, Mila Kunis and Channing Tatum. Because I think when they're great, they're great. I, I think when they, they work in this movie, they, they, they work. Uh, I, I'm with Arthur. I, I like both of them in moments. 
Uh, I actually like Channing a little bit less than you, Arthur, and I think I might like Mila yeah, probably about the same as you, actually. I think she's fine in the moment. Her voiceover's pretty good. Voiceover's never easy. But there's just this... She can't sell how silly the dialogue is. Like, the thing about the royalty, like, there's so many, like, good lines that she has that are silly. They are kind of tenured, deliberately campy lines. And I just don't... I think Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis are too self-serious to deliver the lines the way this movie needs them to. The one line that she kills is the, I love dogs, I've always loved dogs. She smashes that line. That line is hilarious. It's it's a big, weird, it's a weird joke, and it totally lands. I love this movie. This movie explains where crop circles come from. It explains UFOs. I'm getting off track, but I'm going to get back on, I promise. There's a lot here, and I think they knew there's only so much we can cover in the first movie. We've built a big, expansive world. We're just going to have to throw it all out there and try to explain it. No, it is not airtight. Uh, having rewatched Matrix recently, I think we talked about that on Patreon content that I got to see the re-release or whatever. I can't remember where we talked about it. Um, that film's airtight. There's nothing wrong with it. It is just mm, hums like a clock, the, the plotting of that film. And Jupiter's thing just doesn't have it. The plotting is not airtight. I think the plot always makes sense after you've seen it once before. <laughs> because the second time, I was like, oh, this... Yeah, okay, yeah. But I had the same problem you did, Arthur. I had no idea whose side was whose. I knew all the siblings were bad guys, but an idiot could figure that out. And I think that's the other big problem with this film. It spends a lot of time forcing Jupiter Jones to be very dumb, to like kind of hope, to hopefully like grab anybody in the audience that still hasn't figured out what's going on. Mm -hmm. And that just, that hurts that protagonist. It hurts the pacing of the film. It hurts a lot. And I think that's just virtue of, that's the kind of movie this is, man. It's, uh, look, A New Hope's not good. It's kind of a clunker. I think we all like to go back and say A New Hope's super good and pure and clean and, like, smooth. No, nah, it's kind of a dog shit movie, but it's awesome. And, like, it just, it sells its weird, crazy world, like, that much better. And I think there's a lot working against Jupiter Ascending. Tatum had, like, no time to prepare for this role, apparently. He wasn't really quite sure what he was doing. Like, the teeth uh, that they had him wear, like, messed up his mouth. So he had, like, a whole voice he was ready to do and then couldn't do it once he put the prosthetics in. Um, the the helicopters that they rented for this incredible scene that they did, I mean, I think that all looks great. Uh, they got all this great practical photography. And then, you know, there was, like, these these issues they couldn't quite get right with the actual CGI of these these rocket boots. We haven't talked about Channing Tatum's rocket roller skates, guys. This movie's nuts. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, clearly I like this the most. I'm going to move on because now we've devolved. But I just wanted to go ahead and hit the highlights that I think are the counterpoints to the very valid criticisms the two of you are going to throw out. We'll talk about why I love this later on. Go, Dustin. Tell me why I'm stupid. You're not, because I'm option three. It's fine. You think it's just fine? It's fine. Okay. I mean, it's not great. It's not amazing. It is a good action sci-fi fantasy story. It, it, insofar as it is doing everything you've always seen in every one of those movies ever. And it's not really... I mean, we talk about the visual scope of it. We've seen that level of scope already. Oh, yeah. We've seen that sort of level of creativity with character design or different yeah. and interesting tech. And I mean, it's nothing that's just... A lightsaber was something no one had ever thought of before. Duna Bay is a weird bird lady. 
Okay. All right. You're okay. That's fair. Uh, All right. I agree. your point. So, so the uh, lizard men are from Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. The ships are from are from Warhammer 40k. You're right. They're they're well, and we they they go to a Terra Gilliam planet. You're right. All all of the visual touchstones are there, and none of that is fatal necessarily. But and we and again the same issue that Arthur mentioned that you've mentioned already is there's just too much packed in there. This movie itself could have been a trilogy and i think if it had done that it would have breathed more if we would have just gotten off of earth if we would have talked about this idea of this is why crop circles happen this is why we have an idea of reincarnation this is why we're sort of connected to the world in an interesting kind of way this is the way in which people have deja vu and they forget things and there are pictures on your phone that you don't understand love it i mean you could have done that movie where jupiter discovers that she is descended of the queen and that is your big conclusion you know, and then Neo rides off uh, like Superman after he answers, closes the phone or this whatever. This really is Star Wars through the lens of the Matrix, too. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you've invoked, like, the Deja, the, the stuff in Jupiter Ascending that is, like, kind of calling back to those same things in the Matrix. And, I, yeah. I, like, I like those little things. And the, and the crop circle thing and all of that that goes yeah. with it. I mean, it, and we have werewolves and we have vampires. I mean, yeah. we have all this sort of stuff going on that, okay, now we have a way to deal with it. That is a interesting movie. Um, that would definitely, I think, would have put together ticket sales to at least substantiate a sequel, if not the full trilogy. And so I think that's part of the problem. The other part of the problem is casting a little bit. And I like Channing Tatum, and I like Mila Kunis fine. But I don't know that she's, you know, nailing it every place in, the, in, the, in those lines. And I think it is line delivery that she struggles in. I think she's good as the maid. And I think yeah. more. I think more of this sort of every woman in the world trying to. You know, this is her story, right? Yeah. I mean, her. Yeah, she comes from a family of first generation Americans. They came over here trying to get out of uh, the USSR. I mean, it's. I, I, I. You're absolutely right. I think those are the parts she's great. And I think. She, I think if we'd done more of that, we would have been better. If Channing Tatum had more work than simply looking down to the left, and slowly raising his head. Which is what he does the whole movie. That's all he does the entire film. I know because it's not fucking about him, dude. <laughs> but still, no. He, I, I think I okay. I got a little defensive. If he's there. gonna yeah, be go like ahead. the Luke Han and Leia, tril, you know, the, the the Trinity working together, then he's got to have a little bit more than just brooding down to the left yeah, and raising his head. He definitely and that's doesn't all get as he much does. As Han does. You're absolutely right. That's and, fair. And so we needed more of that. The second movie could have been the sort of you know game of houses that they're playing. And the different tricks and double tricks and whatnot, and more of what Sean Bean is going to be about how he Lando Calrissians. Um, I mean, we could have done all of that stuff, and that would have been fine. But there's just too much going on, and because of that, even though the action set pieces themselves are fascinating and interesting, and we burn part of the Sears Tower, and we've got all kinds of other stuff going on in that uh, opening sequence, that's all interesting and exciting. But I don't care enough about the characters. Totally fair to care about the set piece. And so it's just, okay, so here's a loud smashy-smashy, and I would care about the peril, but the peril's about people that don't matter a whole lot to me, personally. So it it, it, it doesn't work. But that being said, am I mad I watch it? No. It's totally fine. It's totally fun. And it's, it's almost as though I wish this was a role-playing game that I was playing. If I was playing this on the PlayStation, um, which I don't do, but I would I would play this on a PlayStation game and pick my character saying. and yeah. sort of dial them in and do my thing in that world. Yeah, I'm all about that, but not so much, you know, as a movie experience. Would you be a lycanthrope? Would you be a human? Would you be a lizard man? Would you be? I want to be that dragon. Owl face guy. 
There's so many cool characters. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would be a legionnaire of some sort. Um, whether uh, it's a lycanthrope or not, I don't know. There's a guy that's a dragon. There's would you a be dragon. Sean Bean. I would probably be Sean Bean. Uh, Sean Bean as Bubble Bumblebee Man kicks ass, dude. And then there are the bees, which don't work. Yeah, it's a little silly. I'm, look again, if you're if you're with the movie at the bees, bees, you're with it. Bees. There, there's an ideological problem with the bees, but we'll get to that when we get to analysis. Yeah, there's some interesting. There's a re- you know, it, it's it's a it's a fail. It's, it's a, no, that's what I, I I agree. Like I think there's a lot of like, ooh, well, ooh, I'm excited to talk about analysis. Yeah, but we'll get there. Later. We'll get there. So we'll get there later. What we're doing next though is we're going to expand the syllabus. So somehow we've decided to teach a class, and uh, in that class we're going to put a movie on the syllabus. Now the class could be about movies, but the class could be about something else. And but in that class in which you have assigned movies in a particular week, you've assigned this movie. What else would you assign? How would you augment? that particular conversation. What prostheses would you use to help the shambling mess stand up on its own? Um, I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, the the prostheses that I will use to help Jupiter Ascending <laughs> be uh, superhuman because it, you know, has already got all of its parts in all the right places. And, okay, let's not get it. Fuck. Right, this was a dumb bit. I think this movie's what? very good, <laughs> clearly. I, I, I couldn't figure out what the end line of this joke was. I think this movie's gl- good. Clearly, I think it's better than both of you, um, but I think it's better than us. No, I think it's better than you know, man. I think it's better than the two of you find it. Clearly, uh, but I will agree with Dustin. I, I think there's a there's a ton of problems here, but I, I think there, there's a like a really interesting story about this film going from uh, post production to release, and like Warner Brothers freaking out and not knowing what to do with it, and having it premiere at like the wrong festivals. There's there's a whole mess, but uh, it's it's very interesting that uh, this is a film that I think really did get sunk by bad press because the festival it premiered at it was I think it was either Fantastic Fest or um, gosh I can't remember where it was at it's not important but when it premiered it wasn't can. it wasn't no what well, I think it maybe it was it was it was not a friendly audience whatever it was I could see this happening at can I mean I I really. Yes. I could see this actually going over at Cannes uh, a little bit better than Production it did. research is going to be happening as we speak yeah. here. Well, it's not really that important. The point is, word was out that this movie was bad super early. Uh, but I think a large part of that is people weren't willing to give it a fair shake. And uh, again, I, I roasted Dustin a little bit about Channing Tatum uh, not having anything to do because it's not his movie. But I don't think that's part of the problem. I think there is a pretty strong strain of people who wanted another Matrix and... But this ain't a movie about to do. This is a movie about J- Jupiter Jones and her interesting story. Like, that's who this movie's about. And does the things that she gets stuck doing make a lot of sense or are interesting? No, unfortunately not. The stuff with Tumpence Middleton is super cool. The stuff with the brother who's not Tumpence Middleton or uh, or the sibling that's not Tumpence Middleton or uh, Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, the, the wedding is... Eh. It's it's a subplot that could have been condensed. It, it definitely should have just been Tumpence Middleton offering to marry her. Like, we could have cut down a lot of movie. Uh, but none of the siblings are trustworthy, so it kind of hurts it. There's there's a lot of problems here. But I think that uh, the longer we go out from this movie, the more we talk about the Wachowski career that could have been. Because Lily and Lon are done making movies together. This is it. We had our shot at another... Uh, they tried Cloud Atlas, they tried Speed Racer, nobody liked that. They tried another trilogy, and, you know, they couldn't get it launched. Like, it just... And I think the further out we get, the more people think about, man, wouldn't it have been cool if we got two more of those, though? Like, if they really had room to let that world breathe? Because, again, 
its sequels where Star Wars got good. That's just, I mean, again, it's still always been kind of campy and dumb and for kids, but it got interesting in the sequels. So we're going to focus on things that were not super well-received in their own time, just to kind of look at how opinions shift on on films. Uh, I think it's super important, right? We uh, All three of us have had films that uh, we've talked about on the show and have gone on record as saying, I think I like that more than I did when we talked about it. Um, so this is uh, going to be a class focused on films that have kind of had uh, opinions change about them, or at the very least have attracted some very, very strong uh, defenders. Uh, the first one up I'm going to go with is It's a Wonderful Life. We're going to start kind of far back in terms of films that were not well received, and this film was a turd when it came out. This is big old turkey. Didn't make any money. Nobody gave a shit about it. Nobody cared until it was cheap and easy to play on TV because you had to fill programming hours during the holidays. And uh, nobody wants to work during the holidays, and that includes uh, writers, directors, and actors, etc. Uh, so when they started looking around for what was cheap and holiday-themed, there you had It's a Wonderful Life, starring a whole bunch of uh, much-beloved actors, and it was cheap, and boom. Now you have a cultural sensation after you run it, you know, 24 hours a day every holiday uh, uh, season for, you know, 40 years. Um, and I think that's a fun place to start, because much like Jupiter Ascending, it's a fantastical tale about the evils of capitalism and the wonders of being nice to the people around you. Uh, so fun place to start, but we'll move on from there uh, and go to a film that uh, is another uh, unmaligned and un- uh, much maligned and unappreciated in its time film, and another film we've talked about on the show, and it's Jennifer's Body from Karen Kusama, uh, a movie that I know all three of us like quite a bit and is uh, much beloved by a friend of the show, Kirsten Thurkelson, who came on and uh, talked about it with us however long ago that was, a long time ago. Uh, but a great movie, really, really strong, uh, really, really funny and interesting, and I think uh, misunderstood in its own time for a lot of reasons, including marketing and primarily marketing. Um, but uh, a super strong film that only continues, I think, we're what exactly? This is the 10th anniversary, I think? Right at 10 years from the, when that movie came out. And um, it only attracts more defenders, and I won't even go as far as say defenders. I would go further and say... Uh, diehard fans every day i think the the love for that movie only continues to grow uh, and last but certainly not least is one that is new to me those first two were kind of came right off the dome uh, but this one was new to me and uh, i discovered a little film called birth by jonathan glazer the director of uh, under the skin which i know arthur uh is nice. oh, I thought you've seen that too I love you have that seen movie. i do like that too i couldn't remember which you had seen it um, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Under the Skin. You know that's in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I know. Well, before that, he did a movie called Birth with Nicole Kidman that everybody hated. This movie did, I can't, this movie basically is the reason he didn't make any other movies for eight years. He didn't make another movie until Under the Skin, and this was going to be his, like, big second feature. Uh, and Nicole Kidman uh, still says it's her favorite movie that she's ever done. It's her favorite performance of her career. And uh, it was just deeply misunderstood in its own time. Real quick, if you were not aware of Birth, because, yeah, why would you be? This movie is basically all but forgotten. This is a movie where Nicole Kidman's husband dies in the uh, first, like, 30 seconds of the film, and it cuts ahead to 10 years. And she meets a little boy, played by a creepy Cameron Bright, because it's 2004. And Cameron Bright says that uh, he's her son. Or not her son. Her husband. Whoa. Yeah, her dead husband. He's a little 10-year-old boy. Her husband's been dead for 10 years. I'm your husband. And it goes everywhere you think that premise might go and that's why the film was very poorly received when it came out now again i think it's a super fascinating film i think it's really good i liked it a lot um i actually got to uh i wouldn't have been aware of this film i just happened to listen to a old episode of switchblade sisters i had in the pocket because it had kate berlant on it and i was like i don't know what this movie births about 
and they just so happen to be talking about a film that was maligned in its own time and has got a lot of defenders uh, along the way, and that was kind of already what I was thinking about doing Jupiter Ascending. So, so there's like, like a lot of sexual tension in this movie? Is that what you're implying here? Not a lot, but a, they acknowledge that that's going to be part of it. Okay. Um, it's fascinating. You're gonna, it's on... Uh, I want to see it. It's on Voodoo for free with ads right now. You can go check okay. it out. Uh, I think it's a really, really... I, I think it's a great film. It I would really be a problem do. for my wife because I was a late bloomer. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm aware. Yeah, she's very, she's, very unattractive. Yeah, she would, would have been a problem. She's used to dealing with uh, child-shaped men. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is a good movie. It really is. Uh, I can't tell you anything else because I think everywhere it goes is so weird and interesting that I don't want to spoil anything for you. And again, I don't want to spoil anything for our listeners because not a lot of people have seen this. Uh, so that's going to be the class. We're going to talk about films, uh, how critical response really can impact them. Um, as much as critics, uh, like to say that, ah, oh, we had nothing to do with why the movie tanked. No, it was just a piece of shit. Well, mm. sometimes you do. And sometimes critics can't convince people to not go see Transformers. It doesn't matter. Like, nobody can figure out why anybody goes to the movies. But uh, I think it's important to analyze things that we th- thought were bad and we decided were man, maybe pretty good. All right, very good, very good. Well, hey, Arthur, uh, if you're teaching this class, um, and you're teaching this movie that you don't like, how would you do it? Um, I think this would either be a world lit class or it may be a sociology type course, but I want to talk about how did I get here and look into origins of life. And so we would do a, uh, probably have a book, a text of some sort of world creation myths, uh, you know, Japan, China, Hindu, uh, biblical, um, Greek, you know, and just kind of explore kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And just explore how all different societies and cultures look at, um, how life came to be in their cultures. Uh, and then from there, I'd move into how movies have kind of advanced that. And I would show Jupiter Ascending, which kind of touches on this, you know. Uh, but I would also go with um, Mo- Moana from Disney, Ooh, uh, yeah. kind of telling the history of Hawaii and their creation myth. Uh, and then I would go with Prometheus. Um, nice. A little more ancient alien stuff. Yeah, yeah. the seeding thing, that whole theory. And, and then I think I would wrap it all up with uh, Mother. Uh, and bring it all together. Mother! Sorry, Arthur. <clears throat> it so just you, come, come, comes over me when people start talking about that movie. You did that, and the Danzig song is what I think of. So <laughs> I just think of that's that's how the movie's said phonetically. <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that'd be my, uh, my course. I'd want to just kind of explore. I, th- I think creation myths are interesting. I think it's fascinating to see how different cultures put together how we all got here uh, in their societal ways and, and put the pieces uh, as best they could there. Uh, and, and then just how film, I, I'm always fascinated by how film can further uh, cultural mythos, whether that's an urban legends with something like Candyman or Texas Chainsaw, uh, or if it is uh, just a creation as well. So that's, that's where I'd go with it. Films get to do something really, really great with that stuff, Arthur. Yeah, I think you're right. Cause they get to interrogate, like how do these myths like inform the, the cultures that follow them? Yeah. That's a good class, man. Dustin, what you got in the pocket? You kind of like this okay. Yeah, yeah, I like it okay, but I think I would talk about it in terms of box office failures. Oh, you would? I, I, okay. I think is what we would chase out. And so we would look at this. Uh, we would look at John Carter of Mars, uh, Ooh, you yeah. know, as well, yeah. uh, which is – is that Edgar Rice Burroughs, the original novels? Yes. Yeah. Okay, and so we'd be looking at the Burroughs and sort of adaptation and how that's sometimes a guaranteed sell. 
as opposed to the guaranteed sale of uh, the Wachowskis as uh, the you know commercial or auteurs of commerce that they happen to be at this point in their careers. So we'd have that sort of look at it. And then I would look at like star um, study kind of stuff and Kevin Costner and his star rise uh, with uh, Waterworld and the utter failure that it was, the largest budgeted film of the time. Yeah, and star rise or fall. I know, right? I mean, you could really just do, uh, if you want to, that John Carter Mars now has just got me thinking about like a Taylor Kitsch V uh Channing Tatum career retrospective oh, man, <laughs> cuz yeah. they're both guys that have had a lot of false starts in their careers yeah. like, in terms of when are they finally going to go over Magic Mike but i like the uh well i think that i think you're absolutely right i think Magic Mike and Magic Mike XSL were the uh, the two big moments for him finally yeah but uh, i like that you went with Waterworld cuz uh, it is kind of a real big uh, dollar loser in a way that only something like Jupiter Ascending could is. be yeah, yeah. And then I think we need to look at the exception that proves the rule. So a disastrous production that did not make a lot of money necessarily but came to large critical acclaim because that's the other problem with, uh, say, this movie Waterworld or uh, John Carter of Mars is the critics didn't like it either. Um, and so that the same thing that you're sort of observing there. So I'm thinking about Fitzcarraldo, the Werner Herzog movie, oh, yeah. uh, where they drag the boat over the mountain and then Les Blank's uh, documentary Burden of Dreams that goes alongside that and talk about was basically a disaster production. That turns into a pretty good film. What's it? You said less. Is that the same? Is it the guy that Philip Seymour Hoffman plays in uh, in uh, that uh, Cameron Crowe movie? It's the garlic is as good as Ten Mothers. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, 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 Lester that, Banks. That's who I'm thinking. Lester of. Banks. Banks. Yeah, that's who yeah, I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, the, 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 Sorry, you said Les Banks. I'm like, wait, hold on. Yeah, Les Les Blank. Yeah, yeah okay. who is a, a documentary filmmaker? Yeah, the garlic guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, and garlic is as good as ten mothers. Yeah, I know. I know about the Fitzcarraldo documentary. I just got very confused about its authorship for a second and got really excited. Yeah, that's uh, I've seen. You've shown me pieces of that before. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. So that kind of you know thinking about this disaster that some, somehow they make it work. Uh, in the case of Werner Herzog and Klaus Kinski's collaboration uh, with that, despite the fact that Jason Robards was attached and that failed and Mick Jagger was attached and that failed. And there are uh, there's dragging a boat over a mountain, a uh, huge sort of um, cultural tone deafness on the part of Herzog that he somehow still manages to get past to make one of the, uh, really a, a great film, despite the fact he's completely missing some important notes in uh, in what he should be doing with the film. And so I think that's a a, an, an interesting place, you know, a weird way to sort of dialogue with these other box office failures. And so that's what I would do. Oh, I like it. I like that uh, we're we're tackling it from similar angles, but uh, I think that's uh, that's going to be a, a, a very different nuance. Uh, later loved and lost a ton of money are two very different things, so... That's interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I really tried hard to come up with some sort of fantasy reading of this movie because, you know, in sort of a fantasy-centric class. And I, we're getting down to business, dear listener. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, yes, yeah. indeed. We are getting down to business. And that fantasy-centric sort of reading that I was talking about yeah. was there are other... There's real storybook stuff happening here. There, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah it's the, definitely fairy tale. The lost yeah. orphan princess and, you know, the guardian yeah. who falls in love with her. It's like her knight errant. It's like her Sir Galahad or whatever. Big time. You know, I mean, we've got all that kind of going on uh, with it. And and there's a there's a fantasy series. And I sort of want to name drop this, you know, very close to uh, the Expanding the Syllabus. Uh, the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan, uh, which is an American fantasy.
fantasy series uh, began the late ni- or the middle nineties um, on into the late two thousand aughts when Jordan died before finishing the very last book and then his collaborator uh, wrote the last you know handful of chapters uh, to that uh, book that kind of concludes the the fourteen book series and it's um almost the same kind of thing. This hmm. reincarnation, you're reborn as uh, this sort of person with a power and ability and the sort of uh, noble fate that sort of foisted upon you. Um, and then there's magic and it's, you know some other fantasy kind of elements. But it's, it, it's like stuff that we know, but not like. And it's a world that is, uh, I guess, three ages away from our own world. Oh, and, yeah. and and so uh, and the wheel it's just keeps turning. Very similar to this, then in different kinds of ways. And one of the things, and I just want to simply just name drop this about it, is that it is a movie or a movie. It is a book series that is full of characters. There are so many characters, but in this in this no, novellic sort of uh, ability of telling the story that Jordan has, I feel like I know all of the characters and I understand who they are and where they're coming from in ways that I think Jupiter Ascending sort of fails. I, I think that fantasy is absolutely trope full. It is absolutely yeah. conventional in every well, it's absolutely it lives and breathes on characters that as soon as you like learn two things about them, your brain goes, Okay, cool. I know what this archetype is and some, you know, good storytellers will then subvert that character later on down the road, but even good storytellers use archetypes and tropes to let an audience know very quickly this is your rogue. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Joseph Campbell, you know, we can name drop right yeah. now for the hero's uh, journey. We could, North of Fry does similar kind of stuff. That we're, 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 there are these. Sean Bean shows up and it just is, this is Han Solo and Obi-Wan. Yeah. And go with it. You're, I'm going to do this thing. This is, and, and you know exactly what to expect. And that is fine. But all these stories live and die with, in, in, in cinema, with uh, your identification and understanding of the characters in performance and in character development. And those are the two things that really suffer in this film. Well, I think what you're talking about is something really interesting, and this is where only big blockbuster cinema gets to be big blockbuster cinema. That makes We'll, we'll get to where, where this makes sense. Uh, a smaller film just gets to pick its actors, right? Mm-hmm. A film of this size doesn't just get to pick who's best for the role. Would that we lived in a world so beautiful and clean. Uh, but no, you have to convince a bunch of old, crusty idiots uh, who are predominantly racist and sexist. Uh, I'm just making wide-sweeping generalizations about the people that run Hollywood, but come You're on. You're not wrong. Well, I don't think I am either. Uh, so you have to convince these people that you're gonna they're going to give you $300 million all told if we're going to go ahead and count that, uh, that uh, production marketing, no, marketing budget. Thank you, geez. And I think we should. You, they don't just get to cast who they want. It's Mila Kunis and Channing Tatum. There's 5,000 meetings with 5,000 people to decide who that's going to be. And I think they just can't do it. They can't carry the weight of those archetypical roles on their shoulders. They don't have enough specific charisma. They both have very general charisma, and that's important for, like, this is a story about two people hanging. Like, those are those are really important for down-to-earth I want to see those stories. two in a rom-com. Absolutely. They would yeah. be great together. They have great chemistry. I yeah. see, like, I'm sure no prosthetics, no special effects. I'm sure they screen-tested great. But as soon as you throw those two on a soundstage and everybody's got weird ears and there's green screens everywhere and, you know, everybody, sh- it's a totally different thing. It's not just two people doing a scene anymore. They are they are wearing the weight of this giant undertaking on their shoulders, and I think that's uh, you know you make a very good point. Cinema lives and breathes on 
How well can we communicate these archetypes to our audience? And I just don't think Kunis and Tatum, like, they have moments. I think Tatum's great in, like, his first two scenes, as I uh, Arthur mentioned, that even he liked uh, Tatum at first. But, yeah, you both are right. He does a lot of brooding in this movie. And I just, he doesn't have a lot to do. And I don't think he knows, like, how to, he's not he's not self-assured enough to, like, figure out what the character is in between. And that's, look, not everybody's Keanu Reeves. Not everybody's Carrie Ann Moss. Not everybody's Lawrence Fishburne. Not everybody can take this big, weird, campy, wild world and carry it. And I, I think you, you're absolutely right that that's cinema. That's where it lives and breathes. Well, and I don't want to put all the, the blame on the actors. And I don't I, think – I think it would be unfair of me, too. Because yeah. you're right. But I think that's a huge part of it. And I think is it seems like something that really held both of you back is those two performances. And I kind of got over it and decided I would get on board despite the performances and try to think, find the things that I like. But I agree. They're largely – both miscast, I think. Well, I mean, here's the question I would ask about Mila Kunis's ca- Jupiter Jones character. Yeah. What do we know about her besides that she's from Russia, she likes telescopes, and she cleans toilets? Uh, that's exactly the problem. Very, very little. I, I don't know how fair that... I mean, maybe by the end of the film, yes. Because we don't see that growth. But at the beginning of the film, I mean, her hero's journey's not starting out much more than Luke Skywalker, who we, all we know is... a whiny brat i agree he works it, on a farm and i know but, it, but see he's much more of a he's a better whiny brat she's like i hate my life and she gets up in the morning and she basically just does her job like any other person i mean she's not unique she's not going to toshi station to get some power converters in a way that makes you want to punch her in the face yeah but it's, it's a different i mean she's i, mean, I feel like we're going back to in the review too much but maybe uh i mean the idea that i mean we see these moments of her daydreaming about the dresses and the jewelry and, and these rich people's homes i mean I think those elements do add a bit to a that. A little bit. And I, I think when I, she... I'm not going to disagree. I do think that... I, I think they're completely both underwritten. Her and, and Tatum. I think Tatum's completely underwritten. And I don't think it's on him at all. I, I think it's mostly... The script has no place for him with so many other... Ball, I mean, it's just a matter of juggling too many... It has to keep pins. him out of play. Yeah. It has to keep him out of play for like a good chunk of the movie he has to be completely out of out of the way otherwise the plot shorter yeah but i i do want to go back to something to, i i, I want to go back to this idea of genre because he's mm. bringing this fantasy thing one of the th- is that okay yeah yeah that's what, totally what i'm thinking about yeah one of the things that really came to me about halfway through when i was trying to put all of these people and their motives together I thought a lot about The Big Sleep, and I thought about this as a film noir with that opening uh, narration and then this kind of move with Tatum as more of a – I mean, he's operating very much as a uh, – not oblivious. He's kind of uh, you know non-biased, getting paid, he's the, the private eye yeah, kind of a mm-hmm. yeah. role. And so I, I kind of thought about it in that way with Titus would kind of – or is it Titus or Tristan? Titus. Titus. I'm going to be honest. I'm the one that likes this the most, but don't know anybody's name. His uh, name's Titus. Yeah. Uh, kind of filling in is almost that film fatale type role you, uh, in the yeah. movie. And, and so I was kind of going with that way because it has this very labyrinthine, who is it, what's the you know payoff, who's who's cheating who kind of a thing going for it. And so I, I did think a lot about the big sleep uh, about halfway through this film. And so I, I had those elements of more mm-hmm. uh, kind of in the back of my head as well, which I thought was kind of an interesting take on on this as well. Yeah, I, I I guess that that's just it, it is it definitely works as a fancy film, and so I think I just wanted to say that in terms of genre analysis. I mean, we're sort of getting back in reviewy kind of things about what's working and not working, but um, the strength I think of fantasy cinema in general is that um, you see Sean Astin's performance as Samwise Gamgee, and you know that he is not deft with a sword, but he would jump in front of a hundred for Frodo, and there's there's something about that connection. 
um, not just in the writing of the lines that Aston has to say, but in his performance. And this film sort of lacks some of that, but it has a lot, but it has all the major framework there. And so it's it's really about the effectiveness of reaching an audience I, that I was thinking about in terms of of cinema is that if you go to the workshop and you figure out how to save the cat, I don't think there's anything wrong with anything you see in this film. There's nothing wrong with the general plotting of the film. Yeah, I'm on the same page. I think there's maybe one double cross too many, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it's fine. It's just there's too much too quickly. Mm-hmm. Is really what the is that? Would yeah, is what I'm coming. Yeah. yeah, and that that's what fa- fantasy likes to breathe. Yeah. I, I like that they've they've kind of I, I love the leaning in right the the accepting the premise that sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Ergo, all science fiction can just be fantasy if you take it four notches further. If you say, okay, the aliens are, I forget what the hell is like fourth tier civilizations. I forget how there's this this nerdy way uh, physicists talk about like theoretical civilizations and their ability to harness natural resources. Yeah, right. Uh, and they start talking about at a certain order of magnitude, uh, a sufficiently advanced society can just like start harnessing the sun, mm. right? You just turn the sun into a space station. Dyson spheres and that Dyson kind of spheres, stuff. exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. And I like just the Wachowski's choice to go. Okay, yeah, that would look like magic. That's that's just magic. Uh, and I, I think it really does the film a lot of favors in terms of making the just absurd leaps that this film makes it makes it a little bit more palatable but i agree i i I like i like the plot in theory but there's just too much ground to cover and not enough time to do it in so here's what i want to talk about next and i don't really know how to frame this but i want to think about um sort of occult and paranormal obsession of the 20th and early 21st centuries and the ways in which uh fiction um science fiction specifically and fantasy film and have sort of found ways to work that out, that it seems to be a pretty consistent trope. And I, I, maybe it's just an observation. There's nothing else to say. I don't know. Mm. But crop circles. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll have the aliens show up, and they'll leave a crop circle. Yeah. What we'll do is we'll have the sort of you know basic, I mean, recreation of an alien autopsy abduction scene yeah. when, when Jupiter goes to have her eggs harvested. You know, when you, you, you do the stuff where there's... just straight out of an episode of the X-Files. Yeah, yeah. There, there are vampires, and there are werewolves, but they're not really vampires or werewolves like you think, but totally been around, and been around longer than us, right? Even though, you know, technologically they'd be ahead of us, it's still, part, that's why it's all part of our lore, is we've seen these things, and we're familiar with it. That's why God's always drawn as a human, because the gods are human, it turns out. They're just us, only older and meaner. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and, that, and that's sort of, I, I don't know what it is I want to say about that, other than I find that there's more and more of uh, fantasy or science fiction or horror film that sort of tries to find a way to explain that weird stuff and uh, that we keep eating it up. Because, I mean, of the mo- of the parts of the movie, that's the stuff I like the most. Oh, I had a feeling that's... Without a doubt. I literally wrote in my notes in all caps, this movie explains crop circles. Everyone that didn't like it's an idiot, uh, which is just me being excited about the movie, obviously. But I think I'm with you, man. Those are things that get me super excited and the things that remind me of... My favorite moments in the Matrix are those just those little tiny. Uh, this is what nuggets. a deja vu is. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. I think it's just clever writing. It's uh, it's I'm a sucker for it. It's my catnip. I'm a big dumb idiot. I eat it up. Uh, but you're right. I think that uh, I don't know that I have anything to add other than it's cool. It but is you're, cool. You're right. We do seem to have a, an obsession with it. I mean, it is a frequent fantasy trope. I'd say insofar yeah. as the other way it works in more of a traditional fantasy is that it turns out pixies and trolls are real, but you had to look through the Seeing Stone, Spiderwick Chronicles, or whatever it is to see them, and now you know you have brownies and pixies around you. Yeah, Hellboy whatever. Two, Golden Army style. Yeah, something they like that. They live style. Uh, yeah, 
Uh, so we there, can just keep naming times that this has happened in culture. Yeah, it just it's it's a big thing, and I don't know if I have more to say about it than that. But I, I like it, and this film does that well. So let's get into themes. Let's talk about the bees. I want to circle back real quick, actually, uh, okay. to production stuff. Just big okay. stories, and this is another kind of I don't have much to say about this. Do you guys think? Uh, uh, Jupiter Sending walked so uh, the MCU could run. I know this movie comes out like in the middle of the MCU, but it feels like, I, I don't know, I, I think about the shit they get away with in Infinity War and Endgame, and those movies both made $2 billion or, I guess, whatever, four, I think, total between the two of them. And it's easily stupider than anything that happens in this movie, right? And I would say it's m- much less coherent action in terms of actual, like, just camera placement. Um and yet, audiences are totally ready for it, and I think there's obviously like a lot of existing IP stuff there, and Disney just kind of frankly being marketing geniuses. But I, I like the gravity boots don't always look good. In fact, when they look bad, they look terrible. Uh, and there's a couple of moments where they look pretty god awful. But I feel like there's moments where this film, much like Speed Racer, it's maybe I should say Speed Racer walks so these other things can run, but it feels like them kind of meshing their action aesthetics from the Matrix, very tactile and like real people doing real stunts, and they're like pfft, squishing that into the same sandwich as their weird, wacky CGI stuff they did in Speed Racer. And I guess do we do we think that if this movie comes out like three years later, if this has like a little bit more time for audiences to get limbered up for the weirdest and wackiest stuff that Marvel's got to throw at them? Do you think, like, if this movie, if Jupiter Ascending comes out in 2020, let's say they just got done doing uh, Sense8, you know, that Jupiter Ascending didn't happen and they lost their blank check status after Cloud Atlas, do you think that this movie does, like, a little bit better if the tech's a little further along and audiences are a little bit more primed for it? I'm going to go say no. And the reason why is I don't think audiences are as willing to give an unknown intellectual property a chance. I, I think yeah. I think the reason you know we complain about this all the time remakes and just existing properties and these huge massive adaptations that we see in cinema that we the critical you know sort of enclave um, we complain about but the, what ends up happening is people go to something that they recognize yeah. and this is unrecognizable to them they're like well that just looks weird I mean yes. Men in spandex wielding hammers is also weird, but we know those men in spandex wielding hammers. That's true. I I, I, I agree with Dustin, but I also don't. Th- I mean, I think this movie probably does better if it comes out ten, fifteen years earlier. Really interesting. Okay. I, More fifth I, I element, mean, yeah. kind of time frame. Well, that but pre MCU. Mm. Okay. And pre Dark Knight, I'd even say. Ooh, you know what? That's a very good point. People I, are too. They want their. They want their serious uh, genre. Yeah, they're not. I, they're not there for the camera. Yeah. But I. I mean, I think now. I mean, the the biggest struggle now for any film, especially this scale, that's a writing an original IP, mm-hmm. is, is just I think going to struggle unless there is just a swell of acclaim in advance. And this film had the opposite of that. We yeah. had a swell of negative. Uh, it opened at Sundance, to go back to your earlier point. Is that where it opened up? Yeah. Okay. And, and that's re- after a six-month delay. I mean, it was delayed yeah. by six months or Yikes. so. The, the scuttlebutt was already that the movie was in deep shit. Yeah. Like, it was already... And that's... I remembered it was somewhere where it's like, why would you open it there? And I thought maybe it was uh, a genre fest, and it just didn't go over well. It should... You put it at Sundance? People probably... What year? Like, 2014, 2015? People are just getting out of some Manchester by the Sea stuff? Yeah. No. Nobody... Mm. They should have put this at Fantastic Fest or South by yeah, Southwest. Yeah, I think his genre, yeah, yeah. genre heavy yeah. Uh, campaign debut would have been a lot stronger. But yeah, I just I don't think 
I mean, if you look at the highest grossing films of the year at this point, I mean, yeah, it's 90% Disney and then a couple of, you know, DreamWorks animated films or whatever. I guess, I, yeah, I pine for a universe where this made money for the, exactly yeah. the reason you're talking about, Arthur, because I think this is, this is the last, this is the last coffin in the nail, man. Nobody, yeah. if the Wachowskis can't launch something in this, this new paradigm, then nobody can. It yeah. seems to be the, the common wisdom, at least, uh, when, you know, you look, we don't know anybody in the industry, but we, you know, we reach it. We're, we're we're red, and that seems to be the scuttlebutt. I think the other thing is, you know, I think if this film had come out pre-Speed Racer, it probably does better because mm. I don't think the Wachowskis had the reputation by the time this film came out. I think it's a big part I of mean, it. I mean, mm. they milked The Matrix as much as they could, That the profit off of that and yeah. the influence of that film. They had to do Cloud Atlas basically on their own to get Warner yeah. Brothers to give them another shot. And so, I, man, it's a tough call. I, but, you know, I, I don't know that post MCU this movie does much better. I was just curious. I wanted to bring yeah. that idea to the well, table. Interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, an interesting question. But, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you guys have thoughts on it. Where where were you gonna take us next, Dustin? To bees. Ah, uh, to the bees. So bees. Uh, to the bees who were uh, bees? mindless drones. So okay, here's the Not thing bees. about the Wachowskis. And we've said their last name about eight different ways this I, one episode. I, 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 the Wachowskis. No, hey, I'm not. The Wachowskis. There's no shade on this one. I, I have say it. never been to Eastern Europe. Uh, yeah, um, I'm not Polish, man. I just say it however Wachowski? it happens to fall out of my mouth. Wachowski. I hear it so many different ways. Wachowski. Yeah, I've I've like fully gaslit myself. I don't know what's up or down. The Dostoevskis. Um, yeah. The, the most important American film. filmmakers of the 21st century. Yes, yes. The, those those two. Um, and so what I'm what I want to say. I'm glad here, he did fight me on that one. <laughs> no, I would agree with that. Um, what I want to point out though is that overwhelmingly they have this strong anti-capitalist, rebellious, anarchic little twist to what they're doing. I would throw humanist in there because I think that's an important part uh, yeah, of the ingredient. I, uh, yeah, I think humanism is... an important is, ingredient in the stew, rather. Yeah, uh, you know, every human being matters, every human being is of equal worth, and that uh, class and those class distinctions are simply arbitrary, and that uh, they are used to hold folks down. And uh, whatever we do, we need to, you know, throw off, off the yokes of our overlords and play Rage Against the Machine and get on and get on about doing that kind of stuff. Um, that's... You know, consistent. You have a, a moment of that commentary where um, Vasily, I think, is the evil. No, Vlad is the evil cousin. Who, I kind of like Vlad. Uh, who makes this sort of deal to uh, sell off Jupiter's eggs, but he gets ten thousand of the fifteen thousand, and she only gets five because capitalism, because yep. it was his idea, and he sort of made the arrangements and we've you know the fake names, and that's you know again exploitation of somebody else and their body and their labor. Um, they're an exploited class where they're working as servants, basically cleaning rich people's houses. All of that stuff is great and important, and I love it. And yet, when the bees show up, mm -hmm. they automatically recognize Jupiter because she is genetic royalty. It is like divine acclamation. It is like old school. You are royalty because it's in your genetic code, and even the bees bow down to you. And she still goes back to cleaning toilets. She I don't see the problem. She is she's better than the rest of us because of her genes. Yeah. It, it's nobility. It's blue blooded garbage. That's the point. Yeah. I, no, I don't know. And she she casts it off. You don't like that? Cause Why she's, not? Because it's not staying off. We know where the rest of the story goes yeah, off the frame. Well, this is the good the benefit of only having one movie instead of three movies. <laughs> you can wonder forever where it went. You get to decide, Dustin, write your own fanfic at the end of this movie. My girl's on Earth cleaning toilets because she's a good person. With some puppy babies. Yeah. Damn right. No, no, she's hanging out with her winged dog boyfriend and 
they're going to go back to the stars and she's going to she take her throne. She straight up says she's going to stay in Chicago because she's like, no, this is my life. I want to be with my family. She's going to be a queen. Well, there's probably going to be, she's probably going to lead the rebellion, you idiot. Because that's where it seems like it sets up, right? Like, uh, that's what I want. It's the Wachowskis. What movie do you think they made? Well, I mean, yeah. Okay, that's... she's going to lead the rebellion, but she's still going to be the queen because be she's born to be the queen. Well, and I think that's what they're getting at, though, right? And I I, I don't think any of your complaints are – I think that's – they're literally in the text. I think that that reading is valid, which means that the movie's a mess, right? And, I mean, and and here's the real fundamental problem. Okay, go it, ahead. Is, is that I like how, in their postmodern way, that they mix different bits of philosophy and science and history and whatnot, but I think – I think the obsession with reincarnation is the place in which this becomes problematic because that's where the messianism of it comes in is that somebody is simply born better than everybody else and that those persons when they come we have to all bow down and follow them or get run over in the process i, I don't know i think you're kind of not deliberately but the things that tend to make you mad about movies are here but i, I don't think that that's what this movie's saying because it's 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 setting up I don't think it's that saying she's it. entered a world where that is the truth, as it's the truth in our own world, mm -hmm. right? This is not anything the movie is saying ideologically. This is just the ver the facts of our own world and the facts of this movie's world. Well, it makes it more fundamental than simply the material circumstances of class and mm -hmm. inheritance and uh, the ideological construct that is nobility. But that's it makes it something that even bees recognize. Well, it says that the bees are genetically engineered. The bees are built just like everything else. They're all uh, they're they're all but robots. They're, the bees they're, are replicants. They're they're you're, built by. You're the, using your little brain, your Earth they, brain, they, they, to try they, and understand this movie, dog. This movie's fourth dimensional, baby. You can't understand this. These bees are genetically engineered. They're robots. The, the bees are not part of the natural process of evolution of this planet. Well, they never really get into that, do they? No. They don't explain. And that's I, I will say that this is actually they're. There are so many like cool, interesting ideas here, but they get brushed over so quickly that they create more questions than they do answers. And that's the real kind of the issue. It's like, okay, wait, so are the Norse gods and the Abrahamic gods and the Egyptians, are all the gods just also humans from space? Like, what's going Like, it creates so many interesting ideas because I want, I want to know. Tell mm -hmm. me more. Please go on, elaborate. And that's, it, it gets you in your own head thinking about all the cool things that have not been said, that have gone unsaid, or the things that like are just not that are incongruous based on other things that are happening. I think you're right in this regard that having the B thing just kind of wand waving going, isn't that a cool visual image? All right, here's more cool visual images. It does kind of mess up this very uh, choose your own destiny thing, right? That mm -hmm. is inherent to all of their work, really. Because Jupiter Jones doesn't choose to not be a, a space queen if she hasn't grown up cleaning toilets. I think that's like fundamental to the film, to the character, is that she's a you know an, an undocumented immigrant uh, who's a housekeeper. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge part of her story and a huge part of why she says these rich aliens suck. Uh, but it takes a long time to get there, and I think that's a much bigger problem than she, the the bees not totally working. She does like it when he calls her your highness. Well, she grows to hate it, though, right? And I think that's the cool thing. It's, but, but, it, it goes all three ways. Well, she loves it at the end. No, she loves it at the end because it's, little, because it's Channing Tatum. It's Channing Tatum. It, that's it, why she likes she, it. She loves it at the end. She likes it because it's Channing Tatum. There, there's not an arc there. There's an arc there, and you're it's just a, it's choosing. The it's the bad arc. I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. There's, I think both readings are valid. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fight with you. Yeah, on this. I mean, I, I, I want it to be what you're saying, and I think with more movie, we might get that. I think, 
again, for for me, this movie is all in the rewatch. Uh, I think there's a lot here just in terms of knowing what the pieces are because that's it's five minutes in. We got to meet Eddie Redmayne and Mr. Dragon, and we don't know anything about them, and they're on a lava planet. It doesn't make any damn sense. But then you watch it the second or third time, you're like, okay, yeah, it's the the most evil member of the House of Abraxas and his friend the Dragon. <laughs> like it makes perfect sense the second time. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I'm. I, I'm just glad that Arthur liked Eddie Redmayne in this movie because it's the only thing Arthur, uh, the only thing Arthur or I like Eddie Redmayne in. Yeah, well, and I agree with that entirely. Yes, he's and I, he's just the only one that is on this movie's wavelength. I think, mm. uh, and it's a, uh, it's a damn shame that not everybody else was. So, um, that is pretty much it for me on thematic elements. Is there anything else you guys want to uh, chat, tackle or? challenge about this movie no i mean it's all stuff that we've covered already i think we're kind of you and me have come to a disagreement about uh this permutation of the wachowskis story and again it's the same story in literally every one of their movies mm-hmm. i all of them cloud atlas uh speed racer matrix this that's all the same story uh, i think this is actually maybe the most interesting idea uh in terms of just going out like what is the nth degree of the story we keep telling Okay, humanity finally gets sufficiently evolved enough that it uh, gets uh, spacehood, and then just does the same thing it always does. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. I think it's and super Matrix cool. is a planet. Yeah, the, the Matrix is a, a planet, dude. Like you can't even get out of it. You're just, yeah, it's there. I love every idea in this movie so damn much. I don't give a shit uh, when those ideas don't coalesce together, and that's kind of a. I guess my way of saying I'm putting it on the shelf because that's where we're at, right? None none of us has anything else to say, so we're shelving it or trashing it. I'm putting it on the shelf. In fact, I almost bought it the other day, uh, and I picked up Cloud Atlas instead. Good Uh, call. Well, I just like watching Cloud Atlas more, and uh, I knew this was still streaming, uh, and I just wanted Cloud Atlas more. But I came close, man. I really did. Um, And I might might just yet. If it ever becomes hard to stream, I might, but... uh, I don't foresee that being a problem. <laughs> I think this movie will be free to stream for the rest of eternity. Very likely. So people can get their damn residual checks. So, Arthur, um, what are you going to do? I am going to put it in the trash. It's okay. Um, yeah, I, I think to Dalton's point, the Wachowskis have told this story uh, in much better ways. Uh, and so I, uh, I'm a speed racer guy. Uh, and, you know, and that was the, the thing. You know, I, I went in the speed racer kind of not expecting to love it. I'd seen it before, but you know, I didn't have hopes and blown away. And this one, I, you know, I was open-minded and it just didn't work for me. And you know, at the end of the day, that's the draw. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm going to trash this one. Um, I'm trashing too. I mean, I'd watch it again, but I wouldn't buy it. You're a better man than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I might, I don't know. It's long. It feels long. It's only two twelve. Oh, yeah. I, no, it's two seven. Is it two? It's only two Oh seven. Damn. When they it's were getting like, to the wedding, I was like, barely oh, longer than the Matrix. Oh, this is wrapping up right now. 20 minutes. 40 minutes later. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Damn. It's, it's, the, it's the trip to the, what, I don't even remember it's that brother's too name. Too much going on. That brother needs to go. He needs to be gone. Make it gay. Warner Brothers, you idiots. Have we, now we just get more Tumpins Middleton. Well, yeah. Is that it? That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's the last one, Dustin? Well, I'm done. Yeah. That's... Because I have an idea. You have an idea? Yeah. What's the idea? I've got to keep you around a couple more weeks. So, uh, well, as you know, this is the end of September. Ooh. And that Ooh. marks the beginning of October, Ooh. which marks the beginning of Shocktober. Oh, yeah. And this is Shocktober 8. The Ocho. <laughs> what? Thank you, boys, on that one. I got you both on that one. Yeah.
And so uh, this year we thought we'd do something a little fun. Last year, for October, we did our some of our favorite horror movies. Yeah, favorites movies. we had never gotten We did to The Ring the and Green Room and uh, Paranormal Activity, which I love because I went and watched the whole franchise after we did that one. It was nice to revisit that movie. It's uh, good. And so this year, I thought it'd be fun to go a totally different direction, and let's talk about our biggest horror blind spots. Now, these aren't like some 18th sequel to some small franchise. These are the big boys. These are the yeah. heavy-hitting horror films that you have missed. Yeah, we're not talking uh, Exorcist 3. We're talking Exorcist. If, yeah. if we haven't seen a big one, we're going to try to catch up, I'm not right? talking Red Dragon. I'm yeah. talking Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. So uh, that's the direction. We're taking Shocktober. We've got some big surprises in store with some special guests. Uh, but next week, uh, the Godfather himself is going to kick this off with his major blind spot. So, so what are we watching next week? I, this is, you know, one of those things of when you're a film person at all is that there's always did you see and, you know. How have you not seen? How have you not seen? And there's so many movies out there. And even when you have, you know, something of a, you know, colloquial expertise in something or specialty in something there's still big stuff you don't see and uh i have never seen george a romero's dawn of the dead i was so shocked by this when you told me that like i i kept guessing things that made no sense because it made no sense to me that you hadn't seen this movie no i just haven't seen it and the way he sold it to us was it's a sequel that got a remake and we were like huh what? Yeah, it's and a, it took us forever to figure. And it was it was the re, I mean that finally tipped I saw me Zack off. Snyder's well, he remake. said he saw the remake. He's like the remake's pretty good. And I was like, oh shit, okay. And that was what tipped me off. But I was stunned. You've never seen this movie. No, never, never. I'm worried. very excited because I haven't seen it either. Yeah, so, it, well, we're going into holy this. Shit. Oh How, yeah, I'm the least well-read person in this room, and I hey Dalton, a lot of movies. That's true. No, a, it's just it's always <laughs> look. And this yeah. is I think what as to Dustin's point, don't chastise people for not seeing stuff. The more fun thing is. When you see something that you only watched because you thought one of your friends would like it, and it turns out they haven't seen it. I mean, that's and that's not the case with this film, but I've had that happen with both of you. Um, so this is going to be an exciting marathon. I've got to address a little bit of scholars and filmy persons' um, imposter syndrome as well, because Ooh. one of the things that has to happen is you have to be able to talk about this stuff. And I have talked about Dawn of the Dead, because I've read things, and I've seen clips. Yeah. And so I know things about it, and I've talked about it as though I've seen it. In fact, there are paragraphs published in a book in which I wrote oh, a chapter gasp. about Dawn of the Dead, and I haven't seen it. So that's the thing. Oh, you dirty little scoundrel. He's a stinker, ain't he? You know it. Ooh. So, um, yeah, it's a thing. This is going. I don't know. I was just being silly. I'm so excited to watch this with you guys. It's going to be a blast. So um, you keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. I'm not sure.